I'm Alicia, and this is Dead On. Dead On is a proud member of the Podmoth Media Network. Podmoth. On this podcast, I discuss upsetting and disturbing topics, including violent crime, rape, abuse, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Get excited, because today we have a very special guest with us. We watch forensic files to hear from the investigators who actually worked the cases. We read novels by John Douglas because we want to get inside the mind of a criminal profiler. If we're honest with ourselves, we get a kick from living vicariously through the experiences of forensic scientists, legal professionals, and law enforcement. Which is why I'm introducing a brand spanking new facet to Dead On. Once a month, I'm inviting a fascinating guest to come on the show, including dispatchers, police officers, forensic psychologists, and more. And we're kicking things off with the very first person you'll speak with after something terrible happens. Please give a warm welcome to our first ever guest on Crime Time. Welcome, Sammy. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? My name's Sammy. I'm a 911 dispatcher. Yeah, it has a lot more to the job than you'd think, but that's what we're here for. (laughs) That is what we're here for. Obviously, I spend an inordinate amount of time researching true crime. And I think I can speak for all of us when I say we're over the moon to hear about your experiences. So how long have you been working as a dispatcher? Total, I've been working for three years. I've been at my current agency for two years. So I'm still considered like a little baby in the dispatch community, but enough to at least have my feet on the ground. (laughs) Yes. What led you to that career? What drew you in? It's kind of a weird story. I was working at a coffee shop at the time, and one of my friends was uh, going to school for criminal justice. And one of his requirements was to go to the local citizens police academy. And he's like, I don't want to go alone. And so I was like, well, I'll go with you. Like, I have those nights off. Like, I'll totally go with you. And they did a presentation one week on their 911 center. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, that sounds like so much fun. So I applied. I started working there. And then I eventually left and working where I am now. But I love it. It was a weird turn of events. A fortuitous turn of events. It all clicked into place. Yeah, totally. So what do you absolutely love about it? What's your favorite part of your job? Oh, man. It's hard because I feel like the cliche thing is I get to help people. I really get to help people more than you would think. A lot of people call 911 and they're like, oh, just get them here. Like, why do I have to tell you what's going on? 
if in an instance where somebody is on the ground, passed out and not breathing, just get in there isn't enough. And I am able to give you those life-saving instructions. So like I genuinely can help people utilizing 911 to its fullest. If you're one of those people that doesn't want to stay on the line, I want to help you. And like hanging up on me just makes me upset because then I can't help you. But also I just love the people that I work with because we're all like the same personality for the most part. We're all like the introverted, (laughs) cynical people with a dark sense of humor when it comes to it. And like, can we cuss on here? Okay. And when like, (laughs) when like shit hits the fan, we are all like the most focused and like well-oiled machine. It's fun. It makes it fun. Like when we're dealing with like major incidents and it goes by so quickly. And at the end, we're just like, holy shit. Good job, everybody. Like, I don't know how the fuck we did that, but (laughs) here we are. (laughs) You have to be the cooler head, don't you? Because the person on the other end is panicking. You're like the little angel on their shoulder guiding them through it all. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And there's times like that where people are so worked up. You need to calm down for me because I know you want me to help you. We have to like learn to manage because saying telling somebody to calm down is not going to (laughs) work. Trying to figure out the ways to work through that to make sure that they know like, I'm here for you as much as I can be over the phone, but let me let me walk you through this because a lot of people don't deal with emergency instances, especially something sometimes traumatizing like seeing your child be run over. Parents obviously are a lot more worked up most of the time than other callers and it's like having to like ground them so we can help the kid. Yeah, that's really huge. Yes, I'm really impressed that you could manage that. It'd be heartbreaking to hear about some of the crimes and accidents that people are involved in. I'm the type of person that cries when I see other people crying, so I take my hat off to you. Yeah, I think it's, I'm the same exact way, but it's like different over the phone. I think there's like a, I hate to say this, like I, you have to like teach yourself to like keep that disconnect while also like keeping that empathy so that you don't like become jaded to like whatever the situation is, but you want to make sure that like in the moment, you have to make sure, like, you, this is what you're doing. And then, like, afterwards, you kind of have to then process it and then deal or grieve or whatever you need to do in the moment. When that call comes in, there's no time for that. So it's it's weird. Sometimes I like to tell myself that it's like playing a video game. This call is just, like, one little level that I have to get through. And then once I'm done with the level, I can, like, chill out, you know. But I know it's not a video game, but, like, that's just the best way I can describe, like, how I can disconnect from the situation in the moment. That makes sense. That's really clever. You'd have to use some kind of method to keep a cool head. Because if you get too worked up or upset, you won't be able to help anybody. Yeah. And I mean, there are those calls where like, I mean, I haven't had that because like I said, I'm very new to my career. People that have been doing it for 20 years, there's a lot of trauma that's built up and they sometimes have to say like, can somebody take this call over? Like I... I can't do it. They either have to put it on hold or we can like click in and take the call from them through the computer screens. But otherwise, it's just kind of like grin and bear it. (laughs) And it would be hard. After all those years, it would be really traumatic to listen to the worst day of someone's life. Literally, I have no idea how people have done it for so long, but good for them. I'm glad they're there because they're like a good source of education for me to make sure that They have tips and tricks that I don't know and vice versa, so it's nice to have that comparability. Yes, and that's the perfect segue into my next question. What's the most difficult part of your job? When I first started, it was the the multitasking, because we, in my agency, all agencies are differently. We answer non-emergency lines, um, seven-digit like alarm company lines, 
We also do 911s, which includes like text to 911s and um, the deaf and hard of hearing. They have a specific 911 line that they can call in on. Doesn't really happen that often because there's text to 911 and other resources for them, but we still have that available. We also handle police, fire, and medical radios. So depending on what you're doing on that day, you can be stuck working the fire medical radios and taking phone calls. Um, We have two monitored police channels that we do. Typically on a day, we have four people working. Half of them are handling phones and the fire, no, I'm sorry, the fire medical radios. And then the other two are handling the other police radios. But depending on phone calls, those people can also get tied up on phone lines. Most centers, especially now, are doing like sit-alongs again after COVID. So if you want to, if you have a local center that you want to reach out to and see if you can do a sit-along, they do background checks just for like security reasons. But I really recommend it. It's so intense to like go in there and there's like so many computer screens and there's so much going on and it's overwhelming. That's what I thought would be the hardest at first. But now the hardest is um, just like taking care of myself because I've got all of those the multitasking down, like now now that's like a walk in the park. I'm like, oh yeah, I can listen to two things at once, which seems impossible, but you kind of learn how to do it. And so now it's how do I deal with this trauma that we deal with every single day and um, really make sure that we take care of ourselves, especially like right now when the whole world is just really heavy. So not only is our job heavy, the world is just heavy. There's so much going on and just making sure that we are there for each other and then also it's okay to get help and it's okay to like say I need therapy because that's mostly what it comes down to there's dispatchers that have PTSD and I know that sounds crazy because we're over the phone but it happens and we have to just take care of ourselves so that's my challenge right now I guess that's a great challenge what are some of the ways you practice self-care after a tough day um I have butters <laughs> my cat <laughs> He's the sweetest thing in the world, even though everybody else disagrees. But um, I my husband, he's a huge support. I mean, it's easy because we're like in the same kind of line of business. So there's that level of understanding. I have a great group of friends, a great group of coworkers. Like my dispatch center is amazing. We're always there for each other. If there's a hard call, the moment you hang up the phone, they're like, do you need a minute? Every single time. What do you need? Are you okay? Do you need something? We're very supportive with each other. And then therapy, <laughs> it's, it's tough to say. There's, there's like still a stigma and stuff like that, but therapy is phenomenal. It's something that I think everybody should do, even if you aren't in a first responder slash role, like doctors, I'm sure they have trauma and stuff. Just because you don't have such an intense situation or life, it's just good to figure out what's going on in your mind and your body and stuff like that. So that's what I do. That's such excellent advice. You're doing a great job looking after yourself. It would be really hard to process the trauma with your job. I actually have PTSD myself and it didn't really click until I was 33 years old. I found myself wailing in the doctor's office. It's so important to check in with yourself. It's tough when you get to that point where it's just like, I don't know what else to do. And you're just like, your cup is so overflowing that you're just like, where do we even start? And it's like having to take that piece by piece because I'm so new. I'm trying to like make sure I don't get to that point where it's so overflowing that I can't handle the job anymore. And I want to stay, like, keep doing this job. It's my favorite job. So just take care of yourself as you go. That's really solid advice. In my mind, when I was thinking of dispatch, I was thinking that dispatchers are a part of the police department like in an attached area. 
But it sounds like you're in an agency. Does that mean the police outsource to you, or how does that work? No, so we're hired, um, we're, the police department that we dispatch for, we're hired through the same city. Technically, I do work with the police department and for the police department. Just with our given area, we also dispatch for, like I said, the fire and medical as well. So it's just, we have a larger area than just with the police. However, that's basically what we work for. Is that a good way to describe it? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really know. It's like, yes and no. Department. Yeah. So like we dispatch in the police department, like we're, they pay us, we get paid, we work for them. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Can you tell us about one of the most mind-blowing calls you've ever taken? Oh my gosh, I've been talking with Jack about this all night, and I'm just, or like for weeks, ever since you sent the questions, and I'm like, I, there's just so many <laughs> that like, I would say like a handful of them really stick out, and I guess it's hard to pick just one, because when it comes into us, sometimes it's like so intense that like, I'm like, oh my god, somebody's dying, everybody's dying, like, the whole world is on fire. And then, like, the responders get there, and it's like, oh, it's just a nosebleed. Like, people will literally be like, there's blood everywhere, there's blood on the bed, there's blood on the bathroom, there's blood all over their body, and then they get there, and they're like, there was, like, two drops of blood. So it's like, sometimes what I think is going to be intense is absolutely not what's happening. But then there's times where, like, I'm like, oh, whatever, this calls nothing, and then the officers are medics get there and it's like we're doing cpr and it's like oh my god what the fuck happened <laughs> so it's hard to pick but i think the most memorable for me is i'm dancing between two i don't want to steal your thunder no go for it um i think we're gonna have the same one so sorry if it is but um i had been out of training for maybe six months with my agency and I was working day shift, which is awful. I We work nights. I don't like day shift. <laughs> and we got a lot of 911 calls because of people reporting shots fired at an apartment complex. And not to be too jaded or cynical, but usually shots fired are like fireworks. And usually if we get like one caller about the shots fired, we're like, okay, there's a very good chance that it's fireworks. It's not I, we're still going to put in a call for officers to check it out. It's not that we're not taking it seriously. It's just like typically nine times out of ten, that's what it's going to be. Um, but then we got more calls and like more calls. And we're like, oh, shit, there, there's an actual shooting. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to take call by call by call. And then the police officers get there and a woman had been shot. I didn't we didn't know any information. So, like, here in Dispatch, we didn't get anything. We just got, like, someone got shot. That's it. We don't really know anything. We don't have suspect descriptions, nothing. So then I, it's just intense to think we don't know what's going on. And so we're sending our responders into an unknown situation where there's, like, clearly a gun involved. And so I was just, it's one of those moments where it was hard for me to separate the video game from reality. These people I know and these people, like, I care about. And it's just... It's scary to think that if something were to happen, we we took the calls and we didn't have anything further. It's one of those things that, like, I feel like for dispatch, it's hard to not take the blame if something goes wrong on the streets. We think we should have known better. We should have gotten that information or we should have done X, Y, Z 
because that's our whole point is to try to keep responders and civilians safe as much as possible. But unfortunately, we're only as good as our callers. So it just, it's really impactful when you have no information and then they're going out there and it, we don't know what happens. We, they get on scene and that's kind of like the end of our connection. Another source of trauma is like not knowing the end of what's happening. So thankfully, Jack was one of the officers that was responding, so I was able to get more information, but otherwise we don't really get the lowdown of what has happened after being on scene and stuff like that. So that's probably the most memorable because I was probably, I was very terrified that it was going to be like a mass shooting. Not that it's like, thankfully, it was only one person, but it could have been worse. And that's my intensity being like, oh my God. We're going to have victims everywhere. Everyone's going to be dead on the ground, you know, back to that worst case scenario. But um, it was just one victim, one suspect, and eventually got squared away. But in the moment, it was pretty intense. Wow. I can imagine. And I'm imagining, especially for you, it can be very confronting, knowing you're sending your husband into these calls. I'm sure there's an extra emotional weight for you. Yeah. And it it's funny because people are like, how do you guys work together? And it's like most of the time, if I'm working on phones, I don't know what the police officers are doing. I don't know what the police dispatcher is doing. I don't really keep tabs on that because we're answering phone calls. I have a, a, other things to focus on, like medical calls and stuff like that. So most of the time, I don't even know what he's talking about. If he's like, oh, that call I went on earlier. I was like, I don't what call? <laughs> so it's it's good and bad, especially when intense things happen. But Either way, it I would have been more I would have been concerned about the responders. So whether it was my husband or not, it's still pretty scary. Especially like you said, if you're not getting a lot of information from the caller, you don't know how to process and interpret what you're being told, and then hand off that information to the officers. Yeah, and it's weird too because people are like, "Well, what do I do?" And like the best that I can say is like, "Close and lock your doors," and it sounds like such shitty common sense stuff to tell people but I that's really all that I can tell you to do because I can't tell you go chase after who you think it was because then I'm putting other people at risk so it's like I just say okay thanks for the information close your windows lock your doors and bye and next call so I don't know it's very intense for like five minutes I think that's pretty solid advice because in the moment when the caller is panicked they might not be thinking clearly they might need someone to tell them to take these steps. And frankly, they might need to lock their doors and windows to protect themselves. Yeah, totally. We find that a lot, especially in like intense situations when people are like, I don't know what to do right now. And it's like, okay, fortunately, I know what to tell you. Or if not, I can say, hold on one moment and like scream to my partners like, I don't know what to do. Because um, there's those weird situations where it's like, I've never come across this before. That's a great question. Hold on one second. But for the most part, if it's a shooting, we have a pretty good idea of what to do, which is really sad to say. Yeah, that is really sad. It's not as common here in Australia, but every time I go back to the U.S., it plays on my mind. If you could give one piece of advice to somebody who wants to pursue a career in dispatch, what would you tell them? Be patient <laughs> with yourself. I think that's the biggest thing is that especially... Starting out with this job, as I said, there's so much to it. And even now, three years in, I still am asking simple, what I would consider simple questions. It, it just might be something that hasn't come up. How do I do this? Or how do, what do I do if this happens? And 
especially during training, it's so much is going on at once. It can be overwhelming. And like giving yourself that grace, make the mistakes because you are going to make mistakes. Even out of training, you're still going to make mistakes. And the goal of training is just not to make those consequential mistakes where somebody gets hurt or killed, which thankfully during training, you have a trainer there with you. So like if anything really were to like start going wrong, they can literally push you aside and start doing it for you. There's that safety net. If things, your second day of work and it's all of a sudden there's a shooting, clearly the the, the trainer isn't going to be like, okay, this is fine. No, <laughs> like there's times and places for things, giving yourself that grace to make those mistakes and like understanding that it's not, if you do something wrong and they're not pointing it out to be personal. I can only speak for my agency. My agency is really great with new people and training and being understanding that they're new. I know there's a lot of dispatch agencies that aren't that way, which is unfortunate. They're very, like, kind of throw you to the wolves and expect you to know it all when you literally have never done this job before. So, like, how can you expect that? So if that's an agency that you're training with and that's not how you want to, there's other agencies out there, you know? If they're not being nice to you, (laughs) then just leave. It's not worth it because it's not going to get any better. But also just making sure to take care of yourself again. You don't want to be in this for... 15 years and then all of a sudden change careers because there's so much that's built up and it's just made you a completely different person and just take care of yourself it's okay to get therapy it's okay to seek outside resources or for friends or peer support like anything just please get help because it's better in the long run than forcing yourself to keep bottling it up and then just exploding one day Even for people who aren't dispatchers, that's really good advice. We all have trauma in some way or another. As you said, therapy is for everybody. Yeah, I I don't know how people don't go to therapy. (laughs) I don't know either. I just can't imagine it. What would life even be? Yeah, I would be not the person that I am today. I would still be angry and, I mean, I'm not as angry anymore, but you know what I mean? Like, just like, Never grew up just being angry and angsty. (laughs) I can definitely relate to that. What else are you working on? What other projects? My husband and I have a podcast together. It's called Who Knew? It's not about our jobs. I think we we need to disconnect from our jobs, but also let's still delve into true crime. (laughs) It makes no sense. (laughs) But um, yeah, we do that. And then I, I guess I should have said this during the like, what do you do? to like deal with trauma or like whatever's going on in your life. I also enjoy writing on the side. And during COVID, I reached out to a friend that I went to college with and we like co-wrote a book together, but we're trying to like figure that out because he's getting his master's degree right now. So it's like been put on the back burner, but maybe eventually we'll (laughs) get a book out there. But yeah, working on that. That's amazing. I can imagine that that would be an unbelievable amount of work. Especially collaborating with somebody else on the book. Yeah, and he lives in a different state. So it's like we literally did it all electronically and like texting and like Google Docs. <laughs> so it's the weirdest thing, but also like the coolest thing to see the outcome of it. You should be really proud of yourself, especially pulling that off during a pandemic. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. Where can we find you online? What are your social handles? Um, so who knew podcasts is just who knew podcasts on Instagram. Um, I think our Gmail is who knew podcast 666 at gmail.com. And, um, 
That's pretty much it. My Instagram, I think, is sammy.whammy7. So I might post about if I ever publish that book or not on there. So if you guys are interested. <laughs> Otherwise, who knows really where it's at. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about the book. What's the central thesis? Goodness. the One of the main characters is like a 911 dispatcher. Kind of like that situation of like the world, like it's an apocalypse. Like the world is just, everyone's, it's like kind of like purge. <laughs> like everyone's just killing everybody. And uh, we're stuck in this room. Like, what do you do? Do you keep answering these 911 calls to get people help? Or do you like take care of yourself and like leave? Because the whole place is burning down um, amongst a pandemic. I don't know where I got that idea from. <laughs> And it just kind of goes from there, like these two characters in two different spots of the United States trying to come together to save each other, essentially, from what's going on. That sounds really exciting. A thrilling read. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked about it, but I'm bummed it's taking so long. <laughs> I can imagine that you'd want to crack on and finish it. That would be a massive effort. Especially on top of your career and hosting a podcast, too. You should be really proud of yourself. Thanks. Appreciate that. That's nice. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. I loved hearing about your experiences as a 911 dispatcher. It's been exciting to have a bit of a sneak peek into what you do. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. I've never really sat and like talked about my job like in this kind of like setting before. It's always been to like people that I'm trying to get to work for me, so I'm a little bit nicer. <laughs> yeah, this was fun. This was really fun. Come back on anytime. You've got an open invite. Cool. <laughs> Want to hear more from Sammy? Don't forget to follow Who Knew, the podcast hosted by the lovely Sammy and her husband, Officer Jack, who you'll be hearing from in episode 49. I'll add links to the episode discovery page so you can find them and check out their pod. Do you work in any field within the justice system, from dispatch to law enforcement to prosecution to forensic science? I'd love for you to come on the pod and share your experiences. Shoot me an email at deadonpodcast at gmail.com. Before I go, I need to thank the gorgeous people who've supported Dead On from the word go. Special thanks to Chris Hardy of the True Crime Club on Facebook, Jennifer Henshaw, Justin Ware, Haley Hepburn, Brandy Lewis, Daniel Vaughn, and Michelle Angsmere. Okay, that's enough from me. Like Sammy said, therapy is for everyone. Look after your mental health. And for fuck's sakes, stop committing crimes. Okay, bye. If you're all caught up on Dead On and looking for a new pod to binge, you gotta check out Believer Skeptic Podcast. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. Hello! Welcome to BSP Believer Skeptic Podcast. The commercial where two idiots debate weird phenomena. I'm Chris, I'm the Believer. I'm Cody, I'm the Skeptic. We are an LGBTQ paranormal comedy podcast. And proud members of the Podmoth Network. So, did you know there's a creature in Japan called a kappa that tries to suck a bejeweled life force? 
out of your anus. Uh, I did not, and I'm not even going to try debunking that. Instead, I volunteer as tribute. Okay, so if you like your podcast a little spooky, a little mysterious, a lot gay, do we have the show for you? Just listen and subscribe to BSP Believer Skeptic Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And for more content, search BSPodPHX on social media or visit BSPodPHX.com. Bye! If you love Dead On, and I hope you do, please consider supporting me on Patreon. With your help, I can continue to create this arduous but rewarding labor of love. Dead On, a true crime podcast, is a small, independent production. From research to audio to marketing, I do it all myself, in-house. With your support, the Dead On community will be able to improve, grow, and become a force to be reckoned with. Plus, you'll get access to bonus episodes, exclusive content, and monthly live streams where you can ask me anything you damn well please. Keen to get on board? Find a link to my Patreon in the show notes. That being said, look after yourself first. If you don't have the extra cash, there's other ways you can support the show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite streaming service. You can also spread the word on social media. Catch me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at deadonpodcast. Or search for Dead On, a true crime podcast on YouTube. Special thanks to Fuzz Douglas, the talented musician who created the kick-ass theme music. You can find more of his tunes on SoundCloud. I'll drop a link in the show notes. I'm Alicia, and this is Dead On.